Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Hey, we are on week three of Flip the Script. Somebody say, Flip the Script. Now say it like you mean it. This side right here said it. You didn't participate at all, but I mean, and I can stand right here and preach to you. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody in the house say, Flip the Script. I still don't think you guys are awake over there, but we're going to give you some time. The first week of this series, we explored how Jesus had a way of flipping the script on first century Jewish culture. Their way of life was based upon the law of Moses, and their interpretation of the law was extremely legalistic, and it was not life-giving at all. It it sought justice without mercy, And, and that's not what the cross is. The cross is both justice and mercy, and, and, and that is the cause of Christ. Um, and, and that first week, we looked at uh, the woman that they, they brought, who was guilty of adultery. They brought her to Jesus, demanding justice. And, and when men wanted to stone her in accordance to the law, the only one worthy enough to judge her flipped the script and allowed mercy to reign as those men dropped their rocks and walked off. Last week, Pastor Andrew spoke about forgiveness, and what an amazing job he did last week. I I listened to the sermon, and and I was just blown away at his presentation of this. Specifically, he looked at the time when when Peter tried to impress Jesus by offering to forgive someone more than twice as many times as tradition taught them to. And once again, Jesus flipped the script, and one of the quotes that Pastor Andrew shared last week that stood out to me was, If you're trying to count how many times you have to forgive someone, whether it be seven times, 70 times, seven times, or infinite amount of times, if you are trying to count how many times you have to forgive someone, are you actually trying to forgive them? It reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, which which says the the um, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And so when you're not counting how many times you have to forgive someone, that's when you know that you're truly operating in forgiveness. From a young age, we are taught to dislike those that are on the opposite team. We are. I mean, it's just, it's just the way sports, it's just the way it goes. I mean, if you're, if you're gonna raise up competitive kids, you've got to teach them to, to dislike the ones on the other team, at least to a point, to an extent. You, you have to say they're the enemy and, 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 you know, we're going to cheer for us and not for them. And, and I remember as a, as a young kid playing baseball, the only year I ever played baseball in my entire life. I mean, some of you actually poked fun and made, made fun of me when I was, you know, like getting in a batter stance recently in a, in a sermon. And um, you, you can, you can do that. The scripture says, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. But you can make fun of me if you want to. But, but, but I remember a young age, I was, I was, I was in the dugout, and, and all of a sudden, we all started chanting, washa, 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 ding, 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 pitcher's got an arm like a washing machine. I'd never heard that before in my life. But I'm looking at all these guys in my dugout here, and, and, and they're all like, you know, just going after the pitcher with their verbal attack. And so being the, you know, even at a young age, I was such a holy kid, I just joined right in. Just like, Holy Spirit checked out, man. I'm just like right there with them. Washa, 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 ding, ding, ding. Pitcher's got an arm like a washing machine. And it got worse than that. And uh, I I guess I wasn't good enough to play baseball because I just, I never got to play. So I did a lot of chanting and cheering from from the dugout. 
In high school, dad offered, uh, uh, in, in high school, there was this dad that, um, he, he moved his son. Mandy, you're going to have to help me with this a little bit because the, the details are crazy to me. He was at Columbia High School, and he moved to Swanee County High School. That's what it was. And um, the entire team at Columbia High School, they, they hated him. And I was a new kid. I, I moved there in 11th grade. And I remember one of the football players in, in the peer counseling class that I had, we were sitting there. We had a lot of time in peer counseling to sit around and talk, by the way. Um, and so we were, we were chatting, and, and he told me, he said, my dad offered me a brand new truck if I hit this guy that transferred schools in his senior year. If I hit him hard enough to break his leg, my dad said he'll buy me a brand new truck. I thought, this is awesome. <laughs> no, I mean, it was extreme. It was extreme. I couldn't wait for the Columbia versus Swanee game. I mean, for the, for the Oaken Bucket, man, but I forget the Oaken Bucket. There's going to be some hard hitting that game. It was crazy, crazy how parents get so caught up in that. And I couldn't help but smile last night as I was watching TV way too late, way too late for me to stay up on a Saturday night knowing I got to preach two services on Sunday morning. I should have went to bed, but I, I couldn't. I, 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 was, I was watching the Bucks and the Nets, and, and it was so comforting to me to watch the Nets get eliminated from the playoffs because they eliminated my Celtics. And, um, and, and so it was so comforting to me to watch them get eliminated, especially for those basketball fans in the room when at the end of, of the game against the Celtics, when they, Kyrie comes walking from the bench and he walks to the middle of Boston uh, Garden and he, he takes a stomp on the logo in the middle of the floor, which we affectionately call Lucky. That's our leprechaun, Lucky. And Kyrie just stomps right on and turns around and walks back off. And then the next game, he, he got injured and, uh, and then the Nets were eliminated from the playoffs. And I'm like, that'll teach you. That'll teach you to stomp on Lucky, right? And that's the competitiveness in my heart because we're taught to hate the enemy, right? To hate the enemy. If only our dislike stopped at sports. And it can get extreme with sports. Rick Washburn, but he's not here right now, right? It can get, he is here, there you are. Rick, I would have said it if I'd known you were here and you know this. If only our dislike stopped at sports. That's bad enough, but when you start disagreeing with things that people are passionate about, uh-oh. And you can quickly create some enemies when you disagree with things that people are passionate about. I want to read today from Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And this is going to be a challenging, challenging message for all of us. But I want you to open your heart today. I want you to open your mind and let the Holy Spirit guide and direct us into his truth and his righteousness because I can tell you our righteousness in all this is as filthy rags. What we think is right in all of this probably doesn't hold any value in the kingdom of God. And so today we've got to allow him to, to reconstruct us, okay? Somebody say amen to that. Some of you are scared to death right now. You're like, please don't talk about politics. I know, I know, because you've created enemies in that world. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said. This is Jesus talking. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, sometimes, church, when we read God's word, it, it's hard for us to understand. I, I know that feeling. There's moments even, I mean, you dive into the book of Leviticus, I promise you, there's going to be a lot in the book of Leviticus that you just don't understand. And, and, and without a theological degree or a, a minor in New Testament Greek or Old Testament Hebrew, we fail to comprehend what is actually being conveyed. And then there are times when, when the text is perfectly understandable, it's clear, but yet we just choose not to walk it out. We see the scriptures, we hear the scriptures, but we don't do the scriptures. What's that that the New Testament says? Don't, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And there's moments when it is so clear, and we see it, and we hear it, but we don't do it. Why? Because it seems nearly impossible. With our mindset, it seems impossible for us to carry that out. This is one of those occasions. What I just read to you from, from the mouth of Christ, this is one of those occasions where there's no underlying meaning. There's no hidden message here. What he is saying is what he means. There, there, he, he's not speaking metaphorically. He's not speaking parabolically. He, he, is, he is speaking in, in, in everyday lingo and terms. We don't have to decipher the meaning. Jesus is saying what he means, and he means what he says. And, and those that are hearing it, 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 there's no need to figure anything out. It just, just hear what he's saying and then just act upon that. And in this moment, Jesus is not abolishing the law. What he's doing is he is clarifying the law. I think sometimes that, that, that when we see Jesus flip the script, we, we think to ourselves, well, he is just doing away with the law. And Jesus said, he said, I, I, I didn't come to abolish the law. He said, I came to fulfill the law. But the way that he goes about fulfilling the law, it goes completely against the legalistic customs of that day. Jesus had a way of interpreting it different than anyone else. And, and this, in this occasion, in this moment, he's not abolishing the law. He is clarifying the law. Because the law said in Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so the law clearly states that you should love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love your fellow Jew. Love your neighbor. Love the people that you spend the most time with. Love them. But through the course of human events, frustrations, mishaps, hurts, pains, the rabbis begin to add to the words of God. And is that not what we do sometimes, uh, westernized Christianity, church? Oh man, you're so quiet on me right now. We have added to and added to and added to the word of God to create all of our legalistic culture. And in the process, we're losing what it really meant when God said, and when God said, 
And what we do is we convince ourselves because we've been told for ages, for, 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 for years and years and years, some of you, what you believe about Christianity and what you hold to be true about Christianity you weren't even alive when the concepts that you've been taught were created, but they've been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation, and we develop this mindset, this culture, if you will, this script of what Christianity is supposed to look like, and we don't even understand that we're adding to, adding to. The, the law clearly stated that you should love your neighbor, but the rabbis, through all of the mishaps of, of, that had happened to Israel, Israel, they started adding to it. God never said anything about hating your enemy. It's not in the law. He never said anything about that. And in their pain and their frustration, their feelings begin to dictate the direction of dialogue. And so what they pass down from generation to generation, and they write this script that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We see this being played out in the Middle East right now. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And it is gospel to them. But you don't have to go to the Middle East because we see this played out in our lives every day. Let me tell you something, Christian. You have enemies. You have enemies. There are people out that don't like your faith, they don't like your lifestyle, and you have enemies. But the way we treat those enemies sometimes is contrary to what Jesus had to say about it. Because we've created our script of loving our, our, our neighbor and hating our enemy. But Jesus flipped the script when he called Jews to love tax collectors, to love Gentiles, to love sinners, and to even love the Roman government. And this is a tough one. Because the Israelites were an oppressed people. That's kind of their history. The Israelites were oppressed by the Egyptians they were oppressed by the Philistines. They were oppressed by the Babylonians. They were oppressed by the, the Medes and Persians. They were oppressed by the Greeks. And in the text that we're reading today, at the time of Christ, they were, were oppressed by the Romans. This was their life. All throughout their, 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 their being, all throughout their existence, they had been an oppressed people. And when oppression has become your lifestyle, you have this tendency to grow hard, you, you grow bitter, and sometimes you even grow hateful towards your oppressor. Our natural defense mechanism is to hate those that threaten our life that threaten our liberty, to hate those that threaten our pursuit of happiness. And honestly, I'm not even trying in this moment to be sentimental towards a nation. In your personal life, when they threaten your life, your liberty, and your pursuit of happiness. 
our natural defense mechanism is hate. Last week, Pastor Andrew masterfully taught us what it means to truly forgive. I, I thought it was a, a beautiful, beautiful message. I mean, it was perfect on, on what I believe the Holy Spirit wanted us to convey to you. But let's be honest. It's easier to forgive those that we love. Even when we don't like them. It's easier to forgive those that we love. She may make you as mad as the devil. But you've got 2.5 kids and a mortgage with her. And therefore you, you love her. And you forgive her. He may be inconsiderate and unemotional. It's Father's Day. We don't point at him. Please don't. But he may be inconsiderate and unemotional, but you can't picture spending the rest of your life with anyone else. And because you love him, you forgive him. Your children may drive you insane with their disrespect, but, and, and it's, it's you, you brought them into the world and you chose to give them, you know, a life and you provided for them or, or maybe you adopted them and you chose to give them your name and, and yet they're acting disrespectful but because you love them you forgive them because it's easy to forgive those it's easier to forgive those that you love however don't you hate it when the pastor does that when he says like however or but However, when it's your enemy, it's a completely different story. I'm talking about someone that you don't like, a person that has a different value system than you, a different worldview than you, someone with different convictions than you, someone with a different political party than you, someone that threatens your security or your well-being. This, my friend, this is a different story. And it's hard to love someone that you consider an enemy. Trust me, I know. I'm not just preaching to you today. I'm preaching to me today because it, it's, it's an issue that every human heart has to work through and has to deal with. It's hard to love your enemy. And Jesus didn't say, you're not going to have enemies. He didn't say, don't have enemies. That's not what he said. He never once told us not to have any enemies. You're going to have enemies. It's just hard to love someone that hates you back. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 from our text, Jesus said this. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And the rabbis, the, the teacher of the law, they taught them to hate the Romans. They are under Roman oppression, and it almost seemed necessary for survival. If we're going to get through this thing, we can't like them. We can't cooperate with them. We can't work with them. The Romans were not there to consider the, the Jews and their wants and their desires. That was not on their radar. They were there to control a territory that they laid claim to that did not belong to them. It was the, the Israeli promised land, and, and it did not belong to the Romans. They were there to make sure that the Jews were good little boys, and good little girls, respecting the emperor of Rome. They were there to make sure that Israel did not 
organize an army or grow and strengthen power. They needed to keep them weak. They needed to keep them subdued. And they were there to control a people group that didn't look like them, act like them, or believe like them. Oh, that's where it gets real, right? When we want to control a people group that they don't look like us, act like us, or believe like us. And therefore, the only response is to hate a people group that don't look like us, act like us, or believe like us. But Jesus flipped the script. And he said these words. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Wait, what? He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I'm going to let that marinate in your heart just for a second. And you put your, your feet in the shoes of those that he's teaching that are under Roman oppression. These people are here to control us. And you're telling us to, to love our enemies? And to pray for our enemies? Have you lost your mind? can't pray for them I don't want to love them we're supposed to not like them washa 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 ding 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 you know we're not supposed to like them no doubt that you've heard this phrase before do as I say and not as I do do as I every parrot has has lived those hypocritical words they've come out of your mouth do as I say not as I do. And it's telling kids to act one way, and then we as parents, we do the complete opposite. You know, it's like, don't yell at your brother. And then brother spills Kool-Aid on the carpet. And you yell louder than his sister was ever yelling at him. But don't yell at your brother. But don't, just do what I say, not what I do. Or, or, or maybe it's like this, you know, don't cheat in school. If I catch you cheating in school, but yet you'll cheat on your taxes. Oh, let's move right on. Let's, let's, <laughs> you ever looked at your kids? Don't drive with road rage. <laughs> I will not say any names. I will not call my firstborn out. I will not. Don't drive with road rage, but you let someone cut you off in traffic and you'll hold down the car horn like Pavarotti holding out a high C. <laughs> and you wonder where they get it from. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Surely Jesus didn't really love the Romans, did he? How could he? I mean, that's just spiritual jargon. I mean, you, no. No, he, he's just saying, that's what preachers do, right? They get up in a pulpit and they just say things and there's no possible way they could live all of that out, right? No way, there's no way that he loves the Romans because a good Jew had no love or respect for the Roman Empire. That's what the rabbis taught them. You cannot love them. You cannot pray for them. I mean, it got so bad that in 70 AD, there was a group of, of Jews that were up on the top of Masada overlooking the Dead Sea. And things got so bad. Their hate towards the Romans was so bad. And listen, I'm not telling you the Romans didn't hate them back. But they were 
They were trapped at the top of Masada and the Romans were coming up after them. And they hated the Romans so much that they refused to die at their hands and so they all killed themselves on the top of Masada. All of the Jews killed themselves there. Just so they didn't have the satisfaction of saying we killed them. That's how bad it was. That's what hate does. Intending to harm your enemy, but it ends up taking your own life. And, and hate will keep you so bound up. Listen to me, church. It will keep you so bound up that you can't truly live because it's heavy. Hate is heavy. It's burdensome, and it restricts, and it hinders growth. I like the way Martin Luther King Jr. said it. He said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Instead of carrying hate... Jesus does exactly what he was advising them to do. Now listen, this was the contextual, spiritual information that was being shared. It's completely different when the minister walks off the platform and has to live this thing out in a very practical sense. He said all the right words. But where the rubber meets the road, does he actually follow through with what he advised? John chapter 4, verse 46. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had, be had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at 1 o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told them, your son will live. And he is in, and his entire household believed in Jesus. Now listen, we're unsure and theologians will disagree. Depending on which commentary you read from, they disagree on this. But we don't know whether or not this government official was a Jew or a Gentile. Gentile is a non-Jew. We don't know if he was Jewish or, or if he was a Gentile, an Israelite or a Roman. We just don't know. We're, we're, we're not privy to that information. What we do know is that this government official worked very closely with the very ones who were oppressing Israel, and he was either a Roman transplant working for the emperor of Rome in Israel, or he was a Jewish traitor, a Benedict Arnold, a traitor, that sold out to the Roman Empire. He was not liked by Jews. Whoever this guy was, he was not liked by Jews, and he was the prime example of what a Jew would have considered an enemy. They didn't have the same values. They didn't have the same worldview. They, they didn't believe like the Jews believed. And when you are oppressed by Rome, one less Roman, when you're oppressed by Rome, one less Roman is better than having one live. 
maybe, I'm trying to be sensitive to the young years in the room. A dead government official son is better than someone that's going to be raised up to oppress my children. I mean, when you're really looking at your enemy, you don't want them to reproduce. You don't want more enemies. I'm sure there were people that would have rather him just let this son's man or this this man's son die. But by perfect example, remember what Jesus said? Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. By perfect example, Jesus practices what he had preached on that Sermon on the Mount that we read from. And he looks at that government official, not as a Roman citizen, but he looks at him as a man. You ready for this? Jesus doesn't see him as a government official. He sees him as a father. And he makes that father's day when he says, I want you to go home. Your son will live. He didn't look at him with contempt. He looked at him with compassion. Jesus would say things like this. If a Roman soldier commands you to carry his bags... Don't just take them the legally required limit. Carry them the extra mile. Go, go the extra mile for that man. You don't think that ticked people off that hated Rome? When they showed him a coin that had the face of Caesar on it, and they said, who do we give this to? Do we give this to Caesar or do we give this to God? And he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. People hated what he was telling them because he was flipping the script because this went directly against what the religious leaders were teaching. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Flipping the script, Jesus doesn't fight his enemies with violence. He fights them with benevolence. Some of you are not ready for this at all. I know you're not. You've heard of killing them with kindness? That's exactly what Jesus was saying. And it may not end the way that you hope that it's going to end, but this is the heart of God towards the enemy. Jesus never once mentions how you feel in this passage. He doesn't talk about their feelings at all. He, He never brings it up. He never says, you know, according to how you feel that day is how you should treat them. He never once brings up the feelings. He knows that your feelings can misguide you. You know that, right? Some of you, you've been misguided. I've been misguided by my feelings before. You can't trust how you feel about someone, good or bad, by your feelings. You know what it feels like. You can fall head over heels in love with someone that's bad for you. You like them a lot, but they're not good for you. You can hate someone that God wants to use you to bless. But when all you do is hate, 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 
There's never an opportunity for God to use you to bless their lives. And loving our enemies, it's not this natural reaction. And I think that's where some of you are having a hard time with this, is because it's not a natural reaction, it's a supernatural reaction. Because our God is not natural, our God is supernatural. And we try our best to operate in the natural in everything that we do. Listen to me, church, please listen to me. When we are called as Christians, when, when, when we accept that calling on our life, we walk away from dealing with things in the natural. We, we no longer, we have what, what is referred to as faith. Faith is supernatural. And our God is supernatural. He's not natural. And therefore, the love that he places inside of us, yes, even for our enemies, it is not natural. It is supernatural. So instead of telling you to respond according to your feelings, Jesus gives us specific instructions on how to deal with our enemies. And here's what he says in, in chapter 5, verse 44 of Matthew. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is the response. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, now you can't pray that God would deal with them harshly. You're like, well, I'll, I'll pray for them, all right. I hope the fleas from a thousand camels settle in their armpits. You know, that's not praying for your enemies. That's cursing them. You can't do that. God, I pray you would send a plague of red bugs to their underwear drawer. No, you can't do that at all. You understand that that's wrong, right? That's not praying. That's cursing your enemies. And the easiest way Jesus said to love someone is to begin praying for them. The fastest way to love your enemy is when you start praying blessings over them. He agrees. And I know this firsthand. And there's people in here right now that, that know the story and they know the hurt, they know the pain, and I'm not going to rehash it right now. But the best man in my wedding, I hated him for 15 years. For 15 years of my life, I prayed that God would destroy him. BJ, I was even filling the pulpit while I prayed that. I hated him. With every ounce of my being, I hated him. And I could share the details with you, I'm not, but I could share the details with you and I could, I, I could justify it today. Because that's what we do, right? We justify it. You hurt me, therefore I hate you. And one day God got a hold of me. Man, the Holy Spirit convicted my heart. And he told me to pray for said enemy. And I fought it. 
And I did pray. I, I did pray those prayers. God, if you choose to let the ground open up and swallow him whole, I'll praise you. My prayers were so selfish in the beginning of that, that, that phase of my life. And I prayed. I did. I prayed for it. I prayed. But what I noticed is the more I prayed for him, the more my prayers started changing because my heart started changing. Because he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I started praying. And before I knew it, the whole tone of my prayers had changed. And I began praying blessings over this man. Blessings over his ministry. Blessings over the people that he comes in contact. I said, God, I hope that you send more people his way that need Jesus. And I pray that they find Jesus through him. And you know what? God answered my prayer. And he blessed him. And it's hard to hate someone when you know you've prayed God's blessings and God hears your pathetic prayer. And he blesses them. And your heart begins to change. And I can tell you today, I don't hate that man. Matter of fact, most Sunday mornings I get a text from him. We'll never be best friends. Jesus didn't tell me I had to be his best friend, so I'm not going to be his best friend. Again, Jesus led by example. He hung on a cross as the Roman guards mocked him. You see, they weaved together a crown of thorns. And they shoved it on his head. In complete sarcasm. They mocked him, calling him the king of the Jews. In his thirst, they offered him sour wine. And I am certain that in his pain and agony, there had to be moments when the flesh rises up and you regret what you said about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. I mean, a person can only take so much, right? You can only take so much. And it's in this moment that Jesus prays for his persecutors. Luke 23 and 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And here's the beauty of all this, church. Watch this. Don't miss it. What they see as a weakness turns out to be the greatest power move in human history. It's crazy. In this ironic twist of flipping the script, their sarcastic coronation of Jesus as king turns out to be the real coronation as Jesus as, as king. When Rome raised Jesus up on the cross, they were really raising him as their leader. John 12 and 32, Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And when they raised him up on that cross, 
things begin to change. He twisted the script on Rome's most aggressive symbol of power, the crucifixion. It was a tool of torture and humiliation and execution, but it became the symbol of true life, true liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In 313 AD, the Emperor Constantine, the Roman Emperor Constantine, gave his heart to Christ, converted to Christianity, and within 10 years, the entire Roman Empire, they were now worshiping Christ. They had no idea, no idea when they hung him on a cross what they were setting themselves up for. When the most powerful empire on the planet finds Jesus, the world finds Jesus because we're products of that. What the Romans had in place and the spread of the gospel, it eventually reached us. Found people, find people, forgiven people, forgive people, but persecuted people, they pray for people. That's what Jesus said. Don't hate your enemy. You pray for them. You pray for them. Just just think about how things would change politically if we would pray as Paul instructed us to in the New Testament, if we would pray for our political leaders. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on right now. If we would learn to pray for our leaders as we are instructed to no matter how much you hate them pray that God would bless them and that they would seek the heart of God and that that, that God would bless this nation through them imagine, imagine church oh I know some of you are tuning me out right now it's because you're allowing the hate of, of culture that has been embedded in your heart to take control over what Christ wants to do in and through your life. And he said, I want you to love your enemies and pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. But it's not just a, a national political scene. It's even with the people that are across the street that don't like me very much. And trust me, I know I've got them. Hey, I'm in the middle of a Facebook war right now because of a post that I put up. It happens. Choose to love them through it. Don't fight fire with fire. Mm -mm. Pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.